This is the last unit now in 2 Thessalonians. It's chapter 3, verses 16 to 18. Now may the Lord of peace, no other place in the New Testament does that phrase occur, the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. The Lord be with you all. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Father, grant us to taste the presence of the Lord. May we know the Lord Jesus as the Lord of peace. May we receive from his presence his gift of peace. May we recognize his authenticity in this letter, and may we go on our way rejoicing, knowing that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ will be with us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What does it mean to call the Lord Jesus the Lord of peace? I'm suggesting two things. One, he is in himself peaceful. He is not torn apart. He's not in tumult over inner conflict. He is perfection of harmony and peace. And secondly, he, he loves to make peace. He's the Lord of peace in that it is his nature to make peace. Probably one of the most beautiful sections to show that is Ephesians 2. For he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh. So he was willing to have his flesh torn for peace. The dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man, Jew and Gentile, in place of two, so making peace and might reconcile us both. So that's the meaning of peace right there. Reconcile to God. Reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. It cost him his flesh. It cost him the cross in order to make peace. That's why I'm saying it is of his very nature to love to make peace. You, you wouldn't accept the tortures of the cross for the sake of peace if peace weren't in your nature thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who were near. Can't miss it that Jesus is a Lord of peace. He loves to make peace. Or here it is again in Colossians. In him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. He came to die for the sake of making peace between man and God and man and man in Christ. 
So, he is the Lord of peace in being himself perfectly peaceful. And he is the Lord of peace in loving to make peace and giving his all in order to make peace between us and God. If we will have it, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And now he gives it. It is his gift to us. And he's praying it will be at all times, in every way, we will know his peace. Now, why does he think of praying this particularly? And surely it's because tensions are brewing, and the brewing is largely owing to Paul's doing, because look, Second Thessalonians, even when we were with you, we would give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now, that is one big conflict, right? Your Christian brother has a view of the end times that causes him to quit his job, and he comes looking for a handout from you, and you turn him away. That's not peace. <laughs> right? So, Paul has caused some of the absence of peace by saying, you got to do this, which, and just stop and think about that now. It means that comfortable relationships, which we would call peace, are not the ultimate value, right? Paul puts something else above it so that he's willing to risk broken relationships. I mean, imagine what that person would feel when you say, I'm not going to give you any food today. That doesn't feel like peace at all. And yet Paul is pleading that the Lord of peace would give them peace because he has shown them a way out of that broken relationship. He's taught them what needs to be. So just keep in your mind that when it comes to peace in the church, it is not the ultimate value. There are greater things than peace that have to be embraced, namely the obedience of the apostles. They are disobeying the command of the apostle. And in that sense, Paul has said, don't make peace that way. Don't make peace by saying my command doesn't count. Make peace as much as it lies within you in the truth. And then besides the gift of peace, he now says, and the Lord, the Lord of peace, be with you. So his peace be with you, and himself be with you. And that should sound familiar, namely, Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So a peace of God comes to work in us. And then verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So peace of God, the gift, God of peace, the giver. And the same combination occurs here. May the Lord of peace give you peace. Oh, how we long for peace in our souls and in our community. And then he says, not just the gift, but also the giver. We want the God of peace with us at all times, and he prays that as well as the gift of peace. And then he says this, 
I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. Why does Paul pick up the pen here, perhaps from the secretary who is accepting the dictation up till now, and he signs it off to say, this is really my letter? And you remember, perhaps, that back in chapter 2, this was the problem. Don't be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed by spirit or spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. This is the problem that he had to address, namely forgeries. And so he solved that problem by saying, you know the way I write at the end of my letters. Did the same thing at the end of the book of Galatians. See with what big letters I write to you. Paul had his own distinctive signature, and he gave it to them for the sake of their encouragement and confidence. This is, in fact, the apostolic word of God. Finally, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. You remember back at the beginning of the letter, he said, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you. May grace come to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So here it's grace be to you, and here it's grace be with you. And that is true in every one of Paul's 13 letters. It's remarkable. There's a grace to you at the beginning of every letter. There's a grace with you at the end of every letter. And my suggestion for why that is the case is this. As he begins to write the letter, he says, I am now about to speak to you the very word of God, which means in this letter, as you read it, you are receiving grace flowing to you as you hear it. Grace flows to you in this letter. And then at the end, they're ready to lay the letter down. Perhaps an exposition has been given. They're going to leave the home where they've just met, go out into the world. And Paul ends by saying, oh, yes, don't forget this, that the grace that you have received through this apostolic inspired word will go with you. It'll be there tomorrow morning, tomorrow evening. It'll be there all through your life. So don't think that grace only flows when you're sitting in the church service hearing the letter read. As you remember the letter and trust the promises of it, my grace will be with you till the end.